Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Alice Adamek, who during her near-death experience encountered the Grim Reaper, and today we're going to learn about it. Alice, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you and all your people are viewing and listening to this. Um, I'm a little nervous, but I think I'm going to really enjoy this too. Well, Alice, if you'd like, you're welcome to either start at the beginning or if you have some background uh, information that leads up to it, then you we can start there. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, my family is known for having heart attacks. You know, some families are riddled with, you know, cancer and diabetes and stuff. My family, it's heart attacks. And, of course, I had to follow suit. I couldn't be left out. Um, Anyway, um, my husband at the time, his family, every year they would rent a huge mansion out in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And we were, I was, he had passed away and his family insisted that I still come. So I did. And, uh. I had just got there, and I had the most severe pain in my chest, and it was like acid indigestion. So I thought, you know, this really is not going to be fun. And uh, each we had like 12 bedrooms, and there's a couple in each, you know, relatives, of the couples stay and pick out whichever room they want. And uh, so I had already picked out my room and everything and came upstairs, and it was time to eat dinner because each couple has a certain night that they fix dinner, and they try to outdo each other. I mean, it's like gourmet food. Anyway, I sat down and I thought, oh, I can't do this. And I told, I told Cindy, my niece, sat beside me. I said, I've got to go. I said, I can't do this. And she's, what's the matter? And I said, I don't know. It's in my throat. And I said, it really hurts. And she said, let me fix you some chicken soup. And I said, okay. So she fixed a bowl of chicken soup and brought it in to me. And I started to take a bite and I just barely got it in my mouth. And I, oh my gosh, I mean, it just exploded and I ran in this mansion. The living room and the kitchen were on the same floor up here. Then you went down like a little flight of stairs. Then there was a little foyer. And then you go down another little flight of stairs and another foyer. And then the big doors that led outside. Well, I made it down the first set of uh, stairs. And I told her, I said, I'm going to be sick. Of course, they got a trash can and everything. And she was going to drive me down to the Hogshead Hospital. And I said, no, I said, I need to go now. So they called the ambulance and drove me down there. And uh, the nurse or the doctor that came in was a female. And I had, the night before that, we had been in Asheboro, uh, North Carolina. I think it's North Carolina, yeah. And uh, I had gone into the emergency room there, and they told me it was esophagitis. So anyway, back to the hospital in Hogshead, the doctor came in, and she was checking me, and she says, esophagitis, my, you know, well, anyway, it wasn't nice. And uh, she says, this lady's having a grand slam, or a granddaddy grand slam heart attack, or whatever, anyway. She says, get that damn helicopter in here now. And so, and I kept saying, I said, it hurts, it hurts so bad. She says, I'll give you morphine. So she gave me some morphine and I kept screaming for more pain killer, you know, because it was horrendous. And she says, honey, I can't give you any more. So I can only give it to you every 15 minutes. And I said, I don't care what the law says. I said, give me some pain medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was getting a little 
I went to. Anyway, they finally got me on this little helicopter, and it was like a, I'd never seen one like it before. I, it was like a little kid's air uh, helicopter. You know, they just stuck it together weird. So anyway, they put me on that helicopter, and the nice little gal that was in the back of the helicopter with me, she said, it's going to take about 20 minutes to get to the hospital. And I said, I can live that long. I said, give me some pain medicine. She said, well, we don't have any drugs on the airplane. And I said, well, I'd get some. <laughs> was very nice. Anyway, she was just a little bitty thing. And I screamed and moaned and cried the whole way. And uh, that 15 or 20 minutes was more like a week and a half, you know. Then we get up to the the um, Virginia cardiac unit hospital. And um, they opened up the back of the, the helicopter. And she comes over and she puts one leg over one side of the little gurney thing that I was on. And she says, now I'm going to lift you up because when we land, she says, it's going to rattle and shake and everything. She says, it's a real old helicopter. And I said, I don't care. As long as you get me some help, I don't care. So she holds me up and sure enough, that thing rattled and banged. And I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to make it inside the hospital. Anyway, they come out with this little gurney thing and they put me on the little gurney. And there was a guy on each corner except this one and the, up up here. And she, the girl put a thingy on my arm, you know how they do, and then put the needle thing in. And they're running and they're running towards the door. And all of a sudden, I, I just felt cool and nice. And it just it started to feel really good. And the gal says, we got to hurry. We're losing her. We're losing her. And everything kind of went black and I could still hear them, but I, you know, I couldn't see them anymore. Everything was black. And then all of a sudden I came to and I could see the lights whizzing by, you know, up above. They were running down the hall. And then I don't remember anything until, until I woke up. Anyway, um, when I woke up, I figured, you know, there wasn't going to be any more pain because, you know, even the other doctors were going to make it, you know, so it didn't hurt anymore. But anyway, they, uh, the big light thing, apparently they had let it down and they, it was on laying on my leg and my uh, pelvic bone. Boy, did that hurt. That was just awful. Anyway, they came in and that's the last that I remember of that. And then I came to in my room and uh, I was talking to my daughter out here in Colorado. And I was in North Carolina and I said, honey, I said, uh, what's going on? And she says, mom, she says, hang up the phone. I'm going to call the nurse. And I said, no. And she says, well, you're having another heart attack. And I said, no, I'm not. Then I waited a little bit. And I said, Sean, my arms hurt. And she says, mom, hang up the phone. And I said, no. And pretty soon I said, my legs hurt. She says, mom, hang up the blankety blank phone. So I hung up the phone. I thought, that's really cool. You know, my kids in Colorado, she doesn't even care that I'm in the hospital dying with a heart attack. You know, some kids I raise, right? So anyway, the nurse came in. She was talking to Charlotte. She says, your mom's okay. She's just heavily medicated. And I could hear Charlotte. And it wasn't even on speaker, but I could hear her. You do something for my mother. She's having another heart attack. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, she was raging. And uh, the nurse got to check me. And the doctor came in. And he says, get her to the operating room. She's having another heart attack. <laughs> so they took me in. And what had happened was the stint that they had put in didn't open up. So all the blood was flowing around it or over it or whatever. Anyway, it was pulling in the bottom of my heart. And it made a big old blood clot. And uh, anyway, that they took me back into my room. And then when I came to again, my other daughter was there, my oldest daughter. And she's a big HR person. And she has had offices in every state in the union. 
and uh, she was down in Florida at the time when my other daughter called her. So she came up, and then when I woke up, I saw her sitting there, and I thought, I must be dreaming, you know, because I know she's not here. You know? And I said, Sherry, I said, what are you doing here? She says, Mom, she says, you had a fatal heart attack. And I said, I did? <laughs> anyway, I was in and out of consciousness for a couple of days, I guess. And the doctor came in, and he wanted to know if I had my businesses in order and, and taken care of. And I said, why? And he said, well, he says, you've only got about 57% of your heart left. And he says, you have a big old blood clot and about the biggest, about as big as my fist. And I said, oh, that's nice. And he says, you only got about a 5% chance. And I said, well, that, you know, 5% is 5%. And I says, answer me this. I says, why didn't you let me go when I came in? I said, I was already dying. I said, why didn't you leave me alone? And she said, you didn't have a DNR. What's a DNR? <laughs> so anyway, he told me that without a DNR, they have to revive you. They have to take care of you. So I said, okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, back when I first went in for the second time when they were going to do my heart, that's when I had my experience. Um, I remember laying there and there was people dressed in white and they were, everything was white. The room was white. People were white. The clothing was white and everything. And I'm laying there and I'm in so much agonizing pain. I mean, just it's, you can't, their vocabulary doesn't have a word for it. Anyway, um, I'm laying there and I'm thinking, what are they doing? You know, and they're all running around and doing their thing. And all of a sudden I came up out of the top of my head and I thought, this is really weird. And I'm looking down and there's my body. And there's all these people running around and doing their thing, you know, and everything. And then all of a sudden I felt like arms underneath my arms. And I turn around and I look and it's like see-through people. Only they had on these beautiful gowns and they were shimmering. And I mean, they were beautiful. And one on each side of me. And they'll say, and, she's, and one of them says, you have to come with us now, dear. And I said, well, I'm, what about my body? You know, my body's over here. What's happening? He says, well, you're not in your body right now. And I said, oh, okay. So we turn around and we're walking along. And we come to this one little skinny board about this big. And I'm starting to walk across that. And the angels disappeared. And I'm looking down. And here's all these gooey people. And they're yelling my name and scratching my legs and everything. And, and from what I could figure, that was, they were, I was atoning for all my sins or something. Because it, that was horrible. And I had to walk really straight and careful because I knew if I fell into that, that'd be it. That it would be all over. Anyway, I made it to the other side. And here they come again. And all of a sudden started floating up above. It was like I was looking down. And, you know, I don't know how many, how many people have been in an airplane. But when you look out the window, you see these little bitty toy cars and little teeny tiny people and little tiny houses. And that's the way it was. I was floating up above and I could see all these little houses and all the little people. And, and it was like, all of a sudden, I had feelings that were so strange. I mean, like, I knew what the wind tasted like. I knew what a rose felt like being covered with a rose. I mean, it was just, I was part of everything and everything was a part of me. That's all I can say. Is that I was just merging with everything. So. Anyway, um, where am I? What am I doing? Um, anyway, um, we're floating along, and I'm looking down, and I see all these little bitty 
people and places and things like that, you know. And then we come up on this sort of like a landing, only it was clouds. And they said, you know, we got to walk here. And I said, okay. And all of a sudden they left again, little chickens. Anyway, they left. <laughs> and I'm walking forward. And all of a sudden this figure started coming towards me. And I thought, you know, this is really weird, but, you know, what am I going to do? So anyway, I got right up about, oh, 30 feet from him, and I could see a whole lot better. And it was like this guy was like 8 or 10 feet tall, 20-foot wingspan, gorgeous mounds of blonde hair, big blue eyes, black high lashes, built real muscular, you know. Whoa! And I walked up to him, and I said, who do you think you are? <laughs> he says, well, he says, on Earth, he says, uh, you have me dressed in black, and I'm carrying a sickle, and I'm a skeleton. And I dawned on me, you know, and he, he says, yeah, he says, you guys call me the Grim Reaper. <clears throat> and I said, well, you don't look like it. And I says, on Earth, you're just plum ugly. Mm. And he says, yeah, he says, that's the way you guys got me pictured. <laughs> anyway, he says, uh, I says, uh, what's that little pair of shears you got in your hand? You know, it's like a darning, you know, people at Crochet, they have these little tiny shears. <clears throat> and he says, well, that's to cut the cord. <clears throat> and I said, what cord? And he says, look down. I look down. Here's a silver cord just above my belly button. And he says, follow it down. So I was looking down and everything, and it went down to the hospital. It's like somebody lifted the lid off the hospital. And this cord was hooked to that dead body laying there, which was me. And uh, I, he says, and until I cut that cord, you're an entity of the earth. And I said, well, what am I doing up here? And he says, well, you're an entity of both places. He says, you're always an entity of here. He says, but until I cut that cord, he says, you're an entity of the earth. And I said, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. And he says, well, he says, you know, when your mother was inseminated and you were a fetus in your mother, you were hooked by a cord to your mother. And he says, you're not an entity of the earth. You're an entity of your mother. And he says, until you're born, he says, you're just part of, of your mother. And he says, but once they cut that cord, he says, now you're an entity of the earth. He says, you are separate, you are individual, you are a body that is earthbound. And I said, okay. And I said, but, you know, what is this thing I hear about God? I mean, what? when does that come into play? And he said, I'll tell you about that later. I said, okay, whatever. And uh, so anyway, they cut the cord. And he said, now, he said, look around. So I back up to where I was facing him, and I looked around, and I could see all these gray cords. And I said, what's that? And he says, those are all the lives you lived. And I says, oh, stop right there. I said, no. I says, my family's very Christian. We believe in Jesus. And I says, this just doesn't. Reincarnation and karma does not fit in my family. That's absolutely Eastern religion. It's taboo. And he says, well, he says, you got to remember, he says, if the earth is four billion years old, he says, who was the holy man before Jesus got there? And I said, don't be trying to make sense to me because it's not going to work. Anyway, I got to looking at those silver cords and I thought, boy, this is really amazing, you know, because I could see different people that they were hooked to, but they were like gray. And he said, well, you want to go down and, and see what you did in one of your lifetimes? And I said, sure. So I went down and around and, you know, everybody, I, I saw the one that had pyramids around it. And I thought, whoa, you know, I want to do this one. And he said, now when you get there, he says, don't go into the body. He said, just hover over it. And I said, oh, okay. And he says, 
and you know everybody when they think of Egypt they think oh I was a pharaoh or I was a queen or you know something <laughs> no that's not the way it is anyway I decided I'd follow this one person and I was a very tall you know like oh what's the name of that guy with the real heavy voice and Munsters no Herman Munster no not Herman the other one the tall a lurch lurch yeah that's it okay lurch was there and that's just what I looked like. I looked like Lurch. I was dressed in white. And I, you know, and I walked up and I bowed down in front of the Pharaoh and his wife. And I'm on my knees. And she hands me this baby. And he was horribly deformed. Just, it was so heartbreaking, you know. And I thought, yep, this is what's happened when you, you know, interbreed like you guys do, you know, and your brother and sister. And it's, you know, the way it is. Yeah, I didn't say that, but I was thinking it, you know. So I take this little baby and I'm walking down the hall and I come to this room and I open it up. It's a fairly nice little room, but over here on the shelf, there was little bottles of goat's milk. And then up above, there was these container things. And I walked over to it and I'm still holding the baby with one arm. And I, I take the milk and I pour it into a bottle and then I take a little jar of this yellow liquid and I pour that in the bottle and I set it back up there. Well, as I turned around, I realized those were cobras in those boxes and I had just mixed cobra in with the goat's milk and I thought oh no don't do it don't do that don't do that anyway in that body I took the bottle and I fed it to the baby and he just gently went to sleep and I just rocked him you know until he went to sleep and I thought no I, I don't want to see any more light I don't want anything to do with any of this and I pulled myself up and got back and and he said would you like to see anything more and I said well, is there any of them that are a little nicer? And he says, well, he says, there's one that's kind of sort of nice, he says, but it's not nice. I said, okay. So I scooted around and picked out one. It was a little pygmy person. She's only about this high. And I, I said, is that me? And he says, yeah, that's you. And I said, okay. So I'm, I got a hut and I got like six kids in there. And I've got a little basket and stuff. And I'm going out into the jungle and I'm thinking, you know, I got berries and nuts, and I got to find a monkey so that my children can have monkey brains for dinner. Monkey brains. I never thought of monkey brains. Anyway, I took my little basket, and I was picking the berries and stuff, and I looked back, and I saw smoke coming up. So anyway, I turned around, and I started running, and I ran, and I ran as hard as my little legs could carry me, and I get back there, and it's my hut that's on fire. And all six of my babies are gone. And I'm screaming and scared. And I pull up out of there. I don't I don't want to do this, you know. And yeah, he says, do you have a problem with children in, in this lifetime? And I says, yeah. I says, I've, I've got two children. I said, i got two girls. They're five years apart. One was born on the other one's birthday. And I said, but I've had 11 miscarriages. And he says, you know, he says, maybe that's, you know, karma. And I said, I told you. I said, I don't believe in this karma crap, you know. And he said, well, he said, you believe whatever you want. He says, but, that, you know, you got to, you know, everything's got to be balanced and paid for and I said yeah right so he says you know and I said what what about this part about when you enter into the fetus I said tell me more about that what is that and he says well he says imagine a big jigsaw puzzle he says all those little pieces you got and he says every time a mother conceives he says Anywhere between three months pregnancy and even older, you know, even after the child's born, he says sometimes, he says, pretend like that big giant puzzle is God or whatever you want to call it, you know, 
universal mind, whatever. And he says, every time we one of those born, he says, a little piece of that goes into that little fetus. And he says, now this fetus is born and lives its life and everything. And as he's living that life, his little piece of that puzzle is changing. He's maybe got a little bump on this side, a little indentation here, and a little piece here. And when he dies, that goes back to the master uh, jigsaw puzzle. And it tries to fit in. If it fits in, it never has to be reborn again. It doesn't, guess what? You have to go back. And he says, now, he says, you have four parts. He says, you have the body, mind, spirit, and soul. I says, oh, yeah. He says, yeah. He says, you take care of your body. You exercise. You feed it. You groom it. He says, you take good care of it. He says, same with the mind. He says, you educate it and take care of your mind. He says, but the spirit, what does that say? Oh, the, the spirit and the soul, people get those confused. He says, and they intermingle them and, and you know twist them up. And he says, but actually the spirit is part. He says, that's what the, excuse me, the jigsaw puzzle is. Each little piece is actually a spark. It's the life. It's the, the breath that that baby takes. It's the part of you that is God. And each one of us has one. And then when you die, that piece tries to fit back in. And if it doesn't, like I said, you have to be reborn again. But meantime, back at the farm, that life that you lived just now, that's where the soul comes in. What I've been talking about is the spirit. That's the spirit, the energy, the, the God part of you. Now we're talking about the soul. What is the soul? The soul sees that body that you've just lived, takes everything that you've done, and puts it in a box. The soul is actually a memory box of every life you've ever lived. And even in the Bible, it says you will be judged, right? Whatever. Anyway, so every time you are born and you die, it's put into that box. And then they sort through that box. It's judged just like you said in the Bible. And then if everything is right and you've done everything right, then that soul box is sealed. And you get to be part of the big jigsaw puzzle. You're part of God's realm now. And I saw that makes about as much sense as a puddle of mud, you know. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't take things very seriously, and I know I probably shouldn't have, you know, talked to him like that. But anyway, so he says that's what that's all about—the body, mind, spirit, and soul—and that's how they work. That's how they work. And he says, and he says, I know that you're going to be told not to preach when you get back on Earth. And I said, Who said I'm going back? I ain't going back. He says, oh, he says you don't know that. And he says, but he says, you're not to preach. He says, but if anybody asks you, he says, then you're at free will to tell them. And he says, the main thing that people on earth have to know is the difference between the spirit and the soul. I said, okay, well, I'll spread the word. What the heck? I ain't got anything else to do. So anyway, all of a sudden, here's these angels again. They got their arms underneath my arms. And they're, here we go, floating off again. And I said, would you please stop doing that? I said, you guys got me so confused. And I said, you keep leaving right when I need you the most, you know. They just kind of grin and lag, you know. And I look down, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at them, and I'm looking at me, and I got the same pretty shimmering gown on that they do, you know. And I thought, oh, I'm one of the crowd now. And that's anyway. So they walk me into this room, which is made out of clouds. That's the only thing I can say is it. And I'm sure it wasn't. But like I said, I don't have the vocabulary to tell you what it was. Anyway, there's like this little, excuse me, chair thing. So I sit down on this little chair, and I'm all alone all of a sudden. Again, they take off and leave me once more. So anyway, I'm sitting there, and 
I finally got screwed up enough nerve, and I said, what's going on? All of a sudden, I heard the most beautiful voice you've ever heard in your entire life. It was just like honey on raw nerves. I mean, it was beautiful. No face, no nothing, just, just the voice. And they said, what, you know, you're here to ask whatever questions you want to ask that will behoove you when you go back to Earth. And I said, so you're going to say I'm going back to Earth just like the Grim Reaper, right? He said, well, you haven't finished what you were supposed to do on Earth. So, yeah, he says, you're going to have to go back and finish whatever it was that you were put on Earth to do in the first place. And I said, great. And he says, do you have any questions? And I said, well, of course I have questions. Anyway, he says, uh, well, what's the most the most major thing that you want to that you want to know? Hold on, and I'll tell you what some of the questions were. Let me see. Okay, so I ask him questions about how do you go about taking a body? Why do you what what all does that entail? And he says, well. You know, when you're separated from from the jigsaw puzzle and you go down into the mother, he says, you have already chosen the life that you need to live to make that one little piece of the puzzle fit. He says, I, he says, I know you call them fake bumps. And I said, yeah, I do. And he says, so if you come up against something and you're horribly afraid and scared, and he says, that's usually a fake bump. And he says, when you do it, then that little bump will grow or indent, whichever. And he says, until your little piece of the puzzle is all formed, you know, the way it's supposed to be on Earth in this lifetime. And he says, so that's, that's what that's all about. You pick your own body. And then once you, 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 you literally know what you're going to do when you come to Earth. And then you forget it, you know. But you know that you're going to be a killer or whatever. I mean, I've. I just used that as a paraphrase, but you all, you already know that this is the things that you have to do. Well, eventually things will happen in your life that will cause this to happen. Now, if you avoid it, you step over it, walk around it, you ignore it, whatever, it's still going to be there until you do that. And you make that little piece of your puzzle, make its little bump or indentation, whichever, it's still going to stay there. You may not, you may... Like I said, if you do it, then it'll disappear. You've done it. You've accomplished that. If you don't, you'll just come back later, and you'll still have to do it, maybe in a different way or a different form, but you'll still have to do it. So anyway, so you're you're already you have already programmed yourself because you know what you need to fulfill making that jigsaw puzzle perfect, so that when you put it in the soul box, that it'll fit perfect, and you don't have to do anything more. More, excuse me. Then I asked myself, do we evolve from apes? And we don't have enough time to go into all that. It's all about hovering over them and and the spirit and the whole identity thing and all that. I, it's in my book, but I, like I said, I don't think we have time enough to discuss all that. I even asked him, where does sex come into play? I can't believe I asked, but I did. I, <laughs> He says, remember the body and the mind? He says, that's the animal part of you. The spirit and the soul are the godly parts. And he says, to maintain human life, you have to have a body and a mind. 
And usually the spirit and the soul are taught later on, you know, after you're a little older. He says, even though you can feel it, you know you have it. You don't really understand it until somebody tells you you go to church or whatever. So anyway, um, where was I going with this? Um, everybody has a, a part that they have to play on this earth. And some of us have to reproduce a lot of times. Some people have 16 kids. Others, like me, had to fight for the two that I had. Lost a bunch in between. But he says that's where the sex part comes in. And he says that's the animalistic part of the human being. Then I asked myself, why are there so many religions? You know, what's going on with that? And the voice said, people forget what they were like as pure spirits before they took on a bodily form. And he says, so they tried to remember, and there, there's a spark of something that they know is there, but they don't know what it is. So religions sprouted up from that because, like, if they lived in the cold area, they would perform dances and, and you know, do warm clothes and whatever in the same way opposite when you go to a hot climate. And that's what they would do, and they would chant and do all that sort of stuff, and they, they knew that was for a reason, but they never really connected back to the spirit part. And we still, to this day, have a hard time connecting with the spirit part. And once you do, you're Jesus. I know that sounds terrible, but that little spark inside of you, the God part, once you connect that with the big puzzle, you have an inside line. Jesus had an inside line. Buddha, Muhammad, all of the holy people, they all had an inside line because they understood how that little piece connected with the super, the power, the source. And they followed it through. And that's how they became their holy, their little holy selves, you know. But eventually, I mean, any of us can do that. You know, if we tried hard enough and studied hard enough and, and did all the things that Jesus did and all the other holy men, we could do that. But we're so busy living our lives and, you know, picking a baby and you know, just doing stuff. So we don't have, you know, anyway, that's how religion got started is because we knew we had to have something. We didn't know what, so we just built our own, you know. Um, oh, and the other thing is, you know, when, you, when you're when you up there and you're picking your body and all that, you literally pick whether you want to be a male or a female. And depending on what you're going to do, you know, in, in, in that lifetime, like I said, you already know what you're going to do in that lifetime before you're born. Once you're born, you forget all that crap. But anyway, so <clears throat> you decide which is going to be the most feasible for you to do your job? Would it be a female or would it be a male? And then you pick that particular thing, that particular body to be reborn in, because that's going to help you the most to complete whatever your journey is. And this is all done before you're born. Okay. Um, we have so many holy books, so many. And some of them are, are pretty close to what I saw up there, you know. And some of them are way off base, you know. Some religions, you can't wear your dress up above your knee. You can't wear makeup. What has that got to do with your spirit? You know, come on. Give me a break here. And then one of the Ten Commandments, I think, is thou shalt not praise any other god but me. And yet look at how many churches use idols, you know, saints. They pray to saints. They pray to, you know, 
And yet they consider themselves the one and only church of the world, you know. And I think we're learning a lot now because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They've found so many things that are just, they're parallel with the Bible. But I think somebody told me that when, you know, we've only got, what is it, 64, bio, 64 books in the Bible? And there's been hundreds of, of things found in the Dead Sea Scroll. And a lot of them are in the Bible, but a lot of them aren't. And the reason being is there was some king decided that he was going to take out all these Bibles, all these stories and stuff and set them aside. And, and he was just going to have these 64 books and that was all it was going to be. And that's fine, but there's it leaves a lot of dead ends, you know, because you want to know what happened after and it's not in there. But the Dead Sea Scrolls are filling in a lot of the gaps. And uh, <coughs> um, I think now that I've been there and I've experienced all that, I want to know. Whereas before, if you put anything in front of me besides the Bible, you were being, you were blasphemy. That was terrible. You just don't do that. But now I realize that the power gave you a brain and you need to use that brain. You need to cultivate all the knowledge that's out there. And you can even cultivate information that isn't out there. You can go to the, I think uh, Edgar Casey called it the Akashic Records or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, you can, anybody can do that. Like I said, you got to practice. You got to learn how to do it. You got to learn how to connect. And, uh, but I think, you know, since I've, like I said, since I had that experience, I'm really interested in knowing what else there is. Why is this religion like it is? Why are these people doing that? You know, I want to know. You know. So anyway, that's pretty much it. That was my, uh, like I said, there was a whole lot of questions that I asked. But it would take all night if I tried to, you know, add to each one of them. Anyway, when we were all through and I asked them if I could stay and they said no, I was hurt. I was humiliated. I was angry, you know, because I thought, you know, I haven't done anything so bad on earth that I couldn't stay here. You know, what? what's the gig? But anyway, in a very gentle, calm, warm, beautiful voice, it said, you know, you plan so much to do in this lifetime. <coughs> and you haven't finished and you need to finish this so you have to go back and I said well how long is it going to take me said, tell me what it is I have to finish and I'll do it no we can't do that because you have it's like a step like a pyramid you have to go step by step to get to the top if you miss a step you have to go back and do it over again so I thought, mm, boy this is going to be real fun but I figured you know after I come back probably a couple three years I'd figure it out get it over with that's been, what, 2004, and this is 2000. It's been 18 years, and I still don't have it. But anyway, I was hovering over the body, and I was looking at it, and I thought, I don't really want to go in there. It's going to hurt like a booger bigger. But I couldn't go the other way. Everything had just kind of gone away, you know. My angels left me. My warm, fuzzy feelings all left me. So anyway... I looked at the body and I thought, well, how am I supposed to do this? And then all of a sudden, it was like, whoosh, like a vacuum cleaner. It went into my head. You know, it was like, whoa. <laughs> and it was like a shock. It was just, okay. You know, and then I realized I was back in my body, that tingling sensation. Like, you know how when you sleep and your arm 
arm wrong and you tingle. Well, that's the way I felt all over my body, everywhere. And I thought, oh, this is weird. <laughs> and then, of course, the pain came back. And it wasn't so much the pain in my chest as it was on my leg where they had that stupid light setting. And anyway, after that, I must have passed out or whatever because I don't remember anything until I woke up in the bedroom, in the bed, in the bed in my room, and my daughter was there. And anyway, um, there was another lady in the room because they have like three layers in Virginia Beach cardiac unit. The first one is severe, you know, they got to keep an eye on you twenty four seven. And then the next one is you're a little bit better, and so they don't have to be, you know, right in your face all the time. And then the third one is just before you get your own private room. You know, so you can just pretty much do whatever you want. But anyway, wait, this lady and I probably on the same level because we were in the same room. And Sherry had gone down. She was working at the time. She was working on her computer. And she would go down, you know, to the waiting room or wherever. And she would do her work there. And because I, as far as I knew, she was there all the time. Because every time I woke up, she was sitting there. You know, so I had an argument with her about that. Anyway, I was laying there and I was sleeping and I opened up my eyes and here's this lady standing over me with a knife. And my daughter came running in and screamed and the lady turned around and looked at me and about that time, the nurse and my daughter grabbed her and grabbed her hand and took the knife out of her hand. Well, this is exciting. What's going on? So she started screaming that I was stealing her food and I was stealing her silverware and her jewelry. And the nurse says, honey, she says, this lady can't even get out of bed. How is she going to steal your stuff? She's, I don't know. She's, but she's stealing it. Anyway, they, my daughter insisted they get her away from me, you know? So anyway, um, they moved her out. And then Sherry told me the next day that she had passed. She had died during the night. So I felt so sorry for her, but I, I, I wasn't ready to put up with another knife either. So anyway, I was in the hospital for like nine or 10 days. And then my daughter flew me, uh, back from there to Denver. And then my other daughter, Charlotte, picked me up. Well, Sherry actually drove me to her front door here. She says, here it is, Mom. Here's your suitcase. Bye. Okay. So anyway, Charlotte came out and got the suitcase. Maybe. And I've been here for, well, since 2004. I've been living right here. And so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Thank you for sharing it with us. Do you feel that the Grim Reaper was overall a benevolent and nice person? Or being, or whatever it was. Actually, he he just had a job to do. I mean, that's all he did. That's all you know. He wasn't mean. He wasn't vindictive. He wasn't, you know, any of the things that you think. And he wasn't sneaky or greasy or dark, you know, at all. It was just part of what he did, you know. And apparently, there is no hell. You just have to be reborn, you know. So cutting the cords and stuff is just, you know. It's not like you're God. I and that's the other thing I could never understand. If God loved me so much, why would He send my? Why would He burn my the little tender butt? <laughs> I don't understand why He would do that. But yeah, He He just had a job to do, and there was, like I said, there was no fire and brimstone or any of that sort of stuff. So he didn't, I'm sure He wasn't worried about that. You know, He just knew that when it come time to cut that cord, you were to be reborn or you to go back to Earth, and that was His job to do that. And he had to take orders just like everybody else. Did he happen to mention that once you get to a point where you don't have to come back and you become part of the puzzle, 
Do you just stay within the puzzle forever or do you do something else? Well, yeah. Um, the way it was explained to me was that once we all get to that puzzle and do our thing, we go on to a different plane. Please don't ask me what that plane is. I haven't a clue. Then we all go on to another plane and do whatever it is we have to do to, to enhance our soul and our spirit. And whatever kind of body form we take, I have no idea. I hope I don't come back as a frog. I hate frogs. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. And I, there were so many more questions that after I got back and through the years, I wish I'd asked him this or I wish I'd asked that, you know. It just, but it was happening. And those four minutes that I was dead, four or five minutes, I, it seemed like I was up there for at least a day, you know, because all of this happening and everything. And it just seemed like a long time, but apparently it wasn't. So, Of the being with the most beautiful voice, who do you think that was? Whoever the big boss is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Somebody that knew, knew all the answers, that's for sure. But as far as I could understand it, we're just energy. You know, when you die, you you still have the essence of your your consciousness and your your personality and all of that stuff. You still have all of that, but you're actually just energy, just part of the source. You know, it's really strange. I, I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's, I'm an electrical wire. That's what I am. No, <laughs> I don't know. The earthly version of the Grim Reaper, he has a sickle. And I wonder if that somehow ever implied cutting the cord. I don't know. Now that you brought that up, I'm I'm sure it did. And why else would he have it, you know? I don't know. Did you ever get any inclination of what you need to finish here? No. Um I, you know, when I first came back, I just wanted to tell everybody what my experience was, and, you know, the difference between the soul and the spirit and all the other stuff that's in my book. I wanted to tell everybody. I wanted to scream it, you know, but I was told that unless they ask me, I'm not supposed to do that hmm. because apparently when, if you try to tell somebody something like the preacher in a church, he's preaching to the whole mass of people. How many people in that church do you think understands what he's saying? The five-year-old doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. The 90-year-old has already been there and done that and going, what a fool, you know? So it's like when when he said that, when he said, you don't, you know, preach, you wait till somebody asks you, and then you can tell them because they're on a level of where they think they can understand what you're going to say. So that's what I've been doing. Did they ever mention to you why we forget everything? What's the point of that? Yeah, they did. Because I asked them, I said, wouldn't it behoove me to know what I did? They said, no. They said, take Hitler, for example. I said, how do you know about Hitler? Well, we know about everybody. Okay, it's fine. How would you like to know that you were Hitler in your past life? What would you do? How would you act? Would you try to make amends? Would you, your whole persona, your whole life would be concerned with that past life, trying to make it right, trying to do, or maybe continue doing what you were doing. You know, you might turn out to be another Hitler, who knows? But they block all of that. And what they, <coughs> what they, what you carry forward is the emotion and the feelings in that, you know, like with Hitler, I don't know if he ever really killed anybody. 
with his own hands, but he killed millions, you know, and apparently that's what goes on forward is your emotion and your character and your personality and your, your whatever into this new life. And you've already decided, okay, I was probably Hitler in this last time, but this time I'm going to do this, this, and this. And that is planted into your plan of life, you know, in this lifetime. So I guess that's the only way I can figure it. Do you fear death at all? Absolutely not. Nope. Not at all. And well, I, you know, I never really did. I, as you can probably tell, I was kind of a wild one when I was younger and I've, I raced motorcycles for years. I raced cars and trucks. I jumped out of airplanes. I've climbed mountains, anything. And I think it was because my dad always told me, he says, if you're afraid of something, he says, you better get your butt out there and do it. He says, that's what life is all about. And he says, if you don't do it, you're just going to have to do it again in a different way. And that's what I was told when I was up there. That's exactly what they told me, you know? So anytime a challenge came to me, even now, and I'm 77 years old, if something comes to me or comes you know, face to face with me, you better watch it because I'm going to do it, you know, and that's just the way I am. And if I die, then so be it. I've already been there. I loved it. I don't have any suicide tendencies. Well, in my book, I put in there that, uh, you know, I contemplated taking a bottle full of baby aspirins and jumping out the basement window. But that's about as far as I got. So, no. So are you saying up there? They were trying to tell you not to live with fear and do anything that challenged you. Well, no, I think they, what they were trying to tell me was that when you're afraid of something, that's what's telling you that that's what has to happen. That's what has to be done. Hmm. And you have that's your trigger that makes you know. You know. How did your life change after this experience? Oh my gosh. Oh, where do I begin? <laughs> It has been so wonderful and been so, I see everything so differently, so differently. Because now I feel like I'm part of everything. I'm part of a leaf on a tree. I'm part of that little doggy animal. I'm, I can relate and feel everything that this earth has to offer. And I, I feel that no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be able to give back, you know, and be fair with all that I have received and all that I've gotten and done and everything, you know, that has just been so glorious and so wonderful for me. And I just feel like I've cheated earth, I've cheated people, you know, because I wasn't able to get back and make them feel the way I do, you know, give them the experience. It, it's just wonderful. How has your family and friends reacted to your experience? Well, <laughs> Uh, as I said, I've always been a little bit on the wild side. To give you an example, I my husband says I talk to anybody that has ears, including statues. He's so cute. Anyway, well, like when we're in a store or something, I see a baby, very solemn-faced. I walk up to the parents and I'll say, excuse me, excuse me, that belongs to me. And I hold my hands out, you know, and then they start laughing, you know, and all that. Or if I see a little older child with his parents, and I'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, do you have any idea? that that child is way too handsome for his height, you know, and that's just the kind of person I am, you know, and my kids there, they know that that's the way I'm going to react. That's what I'm going to do. And my husband does too now. I mean, he didn't at first, he thought it was terrible. But anyway, that's, that's just who I am. I'm, I'm part of those people. I know how they feel. 
I know what I would like to hear if I had a little baby. I'd like to hear that he's way too handsome for his height, you know. And I, I just I become part of those people when I'm talking to them, you know, and the babies. Did you happen to notice that you had any abilities that could be considered psychic afterwards? Um, yeah. A couple of examples. I was in Walmart. This lady was standing. We were both in the bathroom section for some reason, and she was looking at these green wash rigs. And all of a sudden, I looked at them, and I thought, no, it's right in between there for some reason. Those, neither one of those are going to work. And I said, ma'am, I said, neither one of those are going to work. I said, you need to pick that. And then I realized, oh, my God, she hasn't said a word to me. Hmm. And she looked at me, and she said, did, did I say anything to you? I said, no, ma'am. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I just imagined what your bathroom was like. And I said, this is what I saw. And I turned around and left. Oh, wow. The other time was when I was in Walmart. Can you tell Walmart's my go-to? <laughs> anyway, um, went in there and there was this, she wasn't old, probably like me, 70s. Anyway, she was looking at these little winter coats, you know, these little fluffy coats and everything. She held one up that was like a size four. And I could see in her mind, I could see her grandson. And I said, honey, I said, he's way bigger than that. I said, he needs at least an eight. And she looked at me and she looked at me again and she said, did I, same as the other lady, did I say something to you? And I said, no, honey. I just, I just imagined that, you know, you have a grandson that's probably about that tall. And he probably, and I got away from her as fast as I could. But uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to be able to, if I'm real quiet, and I can see what other people are thinking. You know, I can tell what's going on in their head. But I also know that I cannot tell them anything. My best friend, her son was in a baseball team. And I saw this white flash above his head. And I looked down and I saw his leg. And I thought, oh, God, he's going to break his leg at this game. Anyway, Rita came over that night. And I wanted to tell her so bad. Oh, I wanted to tell her, don't let him play this game. Don't let him play this game. But I also knew that even if he didn't, he would wind up breaking his leg some other way. You know, so I just kept my mouth shut. Sure enough, they were done with the game about 7, 30, 8 o'clock. About 10 o'clock, she called me. She says, do you want to come meet me at the hospital? And she says, Ricky broke his leg, didn't she? Didn't he? And she says, yeah, how did you know? And I said, I don't know. I just had a premonition. <laughs> but if I'd have said anything, she'd have made him stay home or done something else. And then he'd eventually had to do it anyway. You know, so I don't tell people things that I see and hear and know that's going to happen. I, I keep my mouth shut because those are their fate bumps. I can't interfere. I can interfere, but I, it just makes it worse for them. So I don't interfere with what they're, they're saying, thinking, or doing. For a while after you came back, were you angry or depressed at being here? Um, yeah, I had problem for a couple of years because my husband had just passed away. I had a fatal heart attack. I had to move out of my house. I had to move to Colorado. Everything was just a mess. And my daughter finally told me, she says, mom, if you don't go to the doctor and get some help, she says, I'm going to boot your butt out of here. Okay. So I went to the doctor and she came in with me and she told him, she says, my mom is horribly depressed. She cries constantly. So they put me on some happy pills. Then I got back to being normal, but it took a good three months for me to get back on track. You know, I wasn't angry that that had happened. I was just confused and hurt with everything that was going on. It was so confusing. It was more confusing than anger. So, yeah. Both the Grim Reaper voice and the beautiful voice that you heard, it wasn't like your voice 
you know, speaking their thoughts in your head. It was like a completely different voice. You say that's correct? Yes. Yes, definitely. They were separate altogether. What do you think inspires you about this experience? Uh, What do I expect? I don't know, just happiness, joy, being able to live and make other people happy. You know, when I meet somebody, they're not a stranger. They're part of me. They're, I'm part of them, you know. So whatever I can do to help them in any way, make them happy or help them with a physical thing or whatever, then I'll do it. That's And that's a joy to me. That's my happiness on earth right now. I get the feeling that you have already solved your puzzle piece. Do you think the same thing? Well, apparently not because God doesn't want me and the devil's afraid I'll take over. Hmm. Apparently, I have to do something. I'm still here. <laughs> but I, I get along with the power. You know, I okay, so I'm still here another day, whatever. You know, that's all. But it's fine. You know, I I love life. I love all the people in my life. You know, even the ones I haven't met yet. <laughs> but I'm sure there's a reason why I'm here. You know, there's still that one big fate bump that I have to accomplish before I can go back on a permanent basis. And who knows, in my next lifetime, I might be a midget. I might be ugly. I mean, not that I'm that pretty now, but still, you know. So I I better not kick it too hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you've run across people since your experience that have lost somebody to the other side, like that has passed. What kind of advice do you give those people who are grieving? I just tell them they're selfish. Because they are, you know. Why would you want that person to come back and suffer whatever it was they were suffering? Um, They're way happy. And I know that for a fact. And I feel sorry for you. And and it's a shame that you, you know, had to stay here while they went on to happiness, you know. But, uh, and I, you know, and I tell them, you know, I know you're grieving and it it hurts. And it's going to stay that way until every day you do something to bury that memory. And every day it'll get deeper and deeper and deeper until you're not thinking about it 24-7. You're thinking about, oh, I got to take the kids to, you know, baseball. I got to do this. I got to do that. And yet you're still thinking of that person. You know, that person will always be there. And you'll always be thinking of it. But the hurt will eventually be buried by other memories that you're placing on top of it. Do you feel like it was more real over there than here? And like here is the dream? Um, it was very real up there. Very, very real. But it's also real here in your animal form. You know, once my the top of my head came back and I couldn't think, you know, because up there I you could ask me anything, any mathematical equation that was, you know, extremely long and big and hard. I had the answer just like that. I mean, it was right there. But when I come back, you know, my brain was encased in this little tiny skull and it didn't have all that information anymore. All right. Well, you've mentioned your book. Can you tell us the title and where we can find it? Okay. The title of my book is My Journey After Death, I Saw the Other Side. And make sure you get that one because there's another one out there that's just My Journey After Death. Don't buy that one. It's supposed to be off the shelves. The other one is My Journey After Death, I Saw the Other Side by Alice Adomic. And that's on Amazon? It's on Amazon and it's at Barnes & Noble. And you can also get it from Dorrance Publishing, the publishing company that 
put it out there. So those three places I know you can get it. Do you have anything else you're working on that you want us to know about? Well, I've been thinking about redoing my Christmas book. Hmm, what's that about? Uh, everything about Christmas starting from the pagans. Hmm. All the way up through, I have recipes in there from every country in the world. I have uh, the descriptions of all the different Santa Clauses. You know, they're not the same. Every country has their own version of what Santa Claus is. Um, where, why do we use bells? Where did that come from? The Yule log, all the Christmas tree, all that sort of stuff. Where did all that come from? You know, why do we do that? Why do we celebrate it and all that? I mean, other than Jesus' birth. But, I mean, you know, what's all the traditions and stuff, you know. And that's what my Christmas book is about. It's called uh, Lyrics, Legends, and Lore of Christmas. But uh, I don't think it's even print anymore. It sounds interesting. Is that also on Amazon? Well, like I said, I don't think it's even out anymore. Oh. I was thinking about redoing it and republishing it. See if anybody wanted to see it. (laughs) I think it's a good idea. Yeah. A lot of information in there. I was just... And gathering up all that information was really fun, you know, because I would talk to people over in Italy and little bitty countries and big countries and whatever. And I'd talk to these people and, you know, get all their information, what their favorite recipe was at Christmas time and, you know, stuff like that. Well, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat with you. Are you open to that? Oh, absolutely. How can they reach you? you? I told you, Jeff. I can't preach, but if they ask me, they're going to get an earful. <laughs> All right. What's the best way to reach you? Well, you can call me on my phone or you can email me either way. What about Facebook? Facebook. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Facebook. All right. Maybe they, maybe the best way for them is just to, to message you at Alice Adamic on Facebook. That would work. Probably. And then yeah. at that point, if you wanted to give out your phone number, then you could give it out to them personally instead of right here to the world. <laughs> how many people do you get? Um, like who's listening to this? I mean, how many people is there? I'm hoping a million people will listen to this. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Hey, you millions, call me. <laughs> there you go. Your phone will be ringing off the hook. Your daughter's going to say, who keep what you're, what are you doing? The phone's nonstop. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has really been fun. I, I was so scared, you know, when we started, when we started this and the closer that it got to 630, I was just, oh, my stomach was just doing flops. And then my granddaughter came over and she put everything all together and did everything. And I thought, well, this is cool. <laughs> Actually, hasn't it been really no big deal? And it, well, it was. It was for me. I thought mm. it was pretty neat. Uh, yeah, and if I mean, you ever want me to come back on again, I've got some more chapters in here that I could let you. Well, that would be great. Little, you know? <laughs> well, you said you could talk all day, so yeah, you we know could I just can. the next time we could just go through all your questions and answers. There you go. There you go, Alice. Before you finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Believe in that little spark that you have—that God spark. Believe in yourself and anything and everything is possible. And it's always for the good. You're the only one that can make it bad or make it unhappy or whatever. So don't do that. Rely on that little piece that's inside you. Let it guide you. Learn from it. Be happy. Share it. If somebody looks unhappy, go over there and tell them a joke. Whatever. (laughs) You know, the world is such a happy, wonderful place. So... And I know that people have to have the unhappiness to fulfill their fate bumps, but you know, it's not, it's not as bad as people think. 
Alice, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you. And I wish you a great rest of your evening. Well, I wish you a great forever. Well, thank you. That's (laughs) That's a first. And I wish the same to you. Thank you.